0: You're listening to In Press, a podcast that showcases early career research from any area of STEM. I'm Emma Cooper. Last week we learnt about predicting the weather with physics and move this week to psychiatry, where I'll be chatting about biological mechanisms of schizophrenia in the brain with Dr Kate Merritt from the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience at King's College London. very much speaking to us today Kay. No problem all. So your PhD thesis was about glutamate in the schizophrenia brain. Mm-hmm. So for those of us who don't know what that is, can you tell us a little bit about glutamate?
1: Okay, sure. So glutamate is a neurotransmitter in the brain. It's a chemical which allows two brain cells to talk to each other and you can basically see it as the major on switch in the brain. And we were interested in looking at the levels of glutamate in schizophrenia because we hypothesized if the levels were altered in patients with schizophrenia, maybe this would affect brain function and maybe it's this that are causing some of the symptoms that we see.
0: So, what led to this glutamate hypothesis of schizophrenia?
1: So basically, the glutamate hypothesis of schizophrenia is based on the observations of um, people taking high doses of ketamine or PCP, also known as angel dust. So that's
0: like a horse tranquilizer. Yeah. So ketamine
1: is used as a horse tranquilizer. It was also used in a lot of um, pediatric surgery, but I think it's used less now. I think they still use it for army surgeries, like on, on the field. And scientists noticed that if people take really high doses of these drugs, some of the behaviors they elicit are similar to schizophrenia. And based on these recreational drug models, it's quite useful because we know what chemicals the drugs are affecting in the brain, and then if it's producing the same behaviours as in schizophrenia, we can hypothesise maybe these chemicals are also involved in schizophrenia. Ketamine and PCP, they both act by blocking glutamate, and this is why we
0: think glutamate might be implicated in schizophrenia. I wanted to know if this would affect any pathology such as symptoms or cognition in patients with schizophrenia. So,
1: kind of hypothesis-wise, people think that glutamate abnormalities may contribute to cognitive de- deficits. And this is because um, glutamate pathways in the brain are involved in learning and memory. Uh, glutamate binds to a receptor called the NMDA receptor, and that's involved in um, long-term potentiation, which we think underlies um the development of memories. It may be involved in positive and negative symptoms, um, there's less theory around this, but because glutamate is the major excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain, um, it is likely that's probably involved in quite like global functions.
0: Okay, so how did your research tie into this glutamate theory of schizophrenia?
1: So basically there have been two really exciting studies recently. Uh, both done at the Institute of Psychiatry, a kind of pioneering study by Demjahar and then a larger follow-up study by Mutuliantis. And they basically found that glutamate levels are elevated in patients who are resistant to treatment. So we do currently have treatments for schizophrenia, but they don't work in a third of patients. And so it may be that in these third of patients, they don't have a dopamine abnormality, instead they have a glutamate abnormality. And so our work wanted to kind of uh, further extend the studies and we were interested in seeing whether this difference was present when people first present with uh, schizophrenia. So if we found that when people first present with schizophrenia, if those who go on to respond to treatment have low glutamate levels and those who uh, do not respond have high glutamate levels, we could use it to predict treatment response. This would be amazing because if you could predict whether someone will be a responder or not, this means that they could be fast-tracked to receive clozapine. Clozapine is effective in uh, treatment-resistant schizophrenia. However, normally to receive clozapine, you have to wait a number of years and you have to trial a number of antipsychotics first. So it kind of fast track patients to receive this.
0: That's because it's got a lot of unpleasant side effects, isn't it? So they have to try other treatments first. But you're saying some people you know wouldn't respond to their first-line treatments and should be going straight for clozapine. Yeah, yeah. So what did you find? Can you give us like a sneak peek before it's published?
1: Okay, so yeah, the results haven't been published yet. We do have some interesting results, and it does seem that glutamate levels do correlate with symptom severity, but we can't um, implicate causation from our study. And I'll write a little bit about our results on the blog. So more future studies really need to look to determine whether glutamate is causal in producing symptoms. We really need to do some new studies looking at if we give drugs that reduce glutamate in patients with schizophrenia, does this alleviate symptoms? But This is a really exciting avenue for new research, because if we could develop better, more effective treatments, especially an alternative to clozabine, which doesn't have the kind of unwanted side effects, that would be amazing.
0: Cool. So there's a lot more to come from this avenue of research. Awesome. So what are your next steps post PhD? What are you up to?
1: So um, I'm, on, I'm doing my first postdoc now and I am actually extending a little, it is related to my thesis. So as I just mentioned, we really need to be looking at treatments that may be targeting the glutamate system. So I'm now working on a trial and what we're doing is we are trialing nitric oxide donors to see if it helps uh, people who have just developed uh, psychosis basically nitric oxide donors you find them in laughing gas you find them in angina drugs you also find them in poppers and so they have peripheral effects that people may know about Um, they you know expand your blood vessels but also they do have effects in the brain so nitric oxide is a second messenger in the brain it's there's not a lot known about it so this is very pioneering stuff but there's been one previous study in brazil and they were using um, a drug which is a nitric oxide donor, and they found fantastic results. One IV administration of this drug reduced uh, symptoms at one month's follow-up in patients. Oh my god! Yeah. In a month. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it was it reduced symptoms, and it was maintained for a whole month that they did the follow-up. So it's exciting stuff.
0: How did you get into this field of research? I
1: had a little bit of a convoluted journey to where I am now, but I think all of it was quite beneficial. So a lot of people here, they did psychology um, as their undergraduate, but I instead did neuroscience. And I used to be extremely biologically minded and I used to do animal work, but I kind of decided I wanted to see how it all applied to the human. And so I applied for a PhD at the IOP and I got it and we, it kind of included a masters as well. So it's really good. So I kind of got up to speed on all the schizophrenia research. But I think it is quite nice when you're able to tie together the
0: animal models with and then testing it in humans. Your work really focuses on the biological causes of schizophrenia, but there's also a lot of work that focuses on social risk factors. So do you think the two approaches could be useful to one another in the future? Yeah, I think this
1: is really important. So although I have looked at the potential biochemical causes of schizophrenia, I think it's really, really important that people view my results uh, within a wider social context. So as I said before, I was quite biologically minded when I started here at King's. And really the biggest learning curve for me was when I found out that Afro-Caribbean individuals are six to eight times more likely to develop psychosis. And when I heard this, it was actually when I was talking to potential supervisors for PhDs. I just completely naively assumed that it was genetic and that the incidence of schizophrenia was higher in the Caribbean.
0: I think a lot of people did, didn't they, in the beginning for that sort of area of research?
1: Totally. Yeah, and people thought maybe it was a migration effect and people who were more at risk were more likely to migrate. And basically there's been really good research that has said all of these assumptions are completely wrong. And now it's thought that it is the experiences of isolation and rejection from society, which actually underpins the increased risk in African-Caribbean individuals. And that, and that blew my mind. And I think even though my research, you know, the, the indications of it, the translation potential of my research is you know, in developing new drugs that might target glutamate, but I think it's really important that we don't forget that there are also social targets that we could easily also counteract. And, you know, schizophrenia is a really complex disorder and I don't think it's ever just going to have one treatment target. And we should, you know, be attacking it from all different
0: angles. Thanks very much for coming to speak to us <laughs> Thank you, good. thank you. It was a thank pleasure. You. That was Dr Kate Merritt. Kate's written a blog for us where you can learn more about her work and upcoming publications. Link in the episode description. If you want to talk to us about some work that you're doing in STEM or know someone who should, please get in touch via our website. This episode was produced by Emma Cooper and Rihanna Guzzi. Our theme music is Blanks by Poddington Bear. Luca Morrill has drawn an illustration which is this week's episode art. Link to her work and the illustration in the episode description. This is the In Press Podcast. Thank you very much for listening.